You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Four years a despot. This is Tyrannus Rex. <laughs> All right, let's do that again. Forty years a rov. This is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Pupko. Yes, Tyrannus Rex. What else can we talk about? We thought that we uh, had sort of like buried <laughs> Trump last week, but incredibly, he rose um, and uh, in such an explosive manner. Uh, right after we finished talking, in fact, uh, uh, you know, uh, pushing his troops onward and uh, being careful, of course, not to say uh, the words that I guess he could be really. Um, uh, totally held completely, completely responsible for, although, again, I don't know how else you can interpret it. I wish we could move on from this, but I, I think this is a, a moment that is seminal and is definitely Rabbi Pupko casting its shadow already, which is probably going to get longer. Um, what's your, again, there's been so much talking heads and discussion and, 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 and a wealth of ink and movement about it. What is it that you'd like to say as our emeritus Rex about uh, what has occurred, uh, what occurred last Wednesday and the fallout? I have to tell you, I mean, uh, as an American, I'll first speak as an American. Living in, living in Canada. <laughs> living in Canada, an expatriate, an exiled American. Yeah. Um, watching the scene of the Capitol being overrun it was it was very painful. I mean, I you know I'm an old fashioned patriot. And I believe in America. I really do. I am not cynical when it comes to what America uh, can stand for and has stood for, and to uh, and to see it overrun that way, I, I I think it was. I found it very 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 disturbing. Uh, I didn't hear Trump's speech. I listened to it. I mean, live. I, I listened to it. Uh, uh, in the snippets that the new, you know that was on the news, and the, I read the entire text. Um, I don't believe necessarily that Trump thought doors would be broken and people would be assaulted. I, I don't. But again, would a reasonable person been more careful? Absolutely. And would a reasonable person have thought it was possible his words would trigger that? Absolutely, yes. Uh, does it cross the line in legal terms to incitement to violence? Probably not. But that doesn't really matter. Uh, a reasonable person, certainly a president, you know, needs to be careful about how they say things and what they say. And I, I, I you know, I, I just I'll just interrupt you for a second. We all know the. The Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, marshal of of uh, shouting fire in a in a crowded theater, right? right? But if a three-year-old, you know, is giggling and shouting fire, it doesn't mean the same thing as an adult saying it. Right. So I think the same thing applies here. Uh, a president obviously has a power, even if you want to say he's a president that's been. Um, a, 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 not as respected as Trump is, but in his for his supporters. So even less than actual incitement for someone else might qualify right. as incitement. No, but for Trump. also, if you look at the Supreme Court decisions on what's considered incitement, 
the, the Supreme Court is, was very, very uh, restrict in what they considered to be uh, illegal, actionable incitement. And, uh, and, and I don't think uh, Trump crossed that line. But again, I, I think that's inconsequential. You know, he even at one point in the speech said, be peaceful. I mean, which again, you know, but in the context of the whole speech, obviously, you know, is a, was a minimal effect. I, I, there's no question in my mind that Trump wanted a massive demonstration. He thought he could disrupt the process of the votes being counted. He thought he could pressure uh, maybe people to change their mind based on the outpouring of, of, uh, uh, of the demonstrators. I don't know. But I don't think he thinks too far ahead. Uh, I think he revels in the adulation of an audience, uh, understands what words will be used that'll get an applause and a cheer, and he will do that every time, whether it's mocking a, uh, uh, a disabled journalist or, uh, or whatever. He will do that. He will do that. He understands crowds. Uh, but I don't think he thinks too far ahead. And I think also from the reporting in the Washington Post and New York Times, it's clear that when he walked the riot going on, the, the you know, the, the push, he was enjoying the spectacle. Uh, Even his tweets were uh, at that time were, "We love you," right? Right, hundred uh, percent. Right. He right. can't bring himself uh, to criticize those who support him. That means whether it's Charlottesville or, or this story, he can't. He can't bring himself to distance himself from people who believe in him, and uh, and from their behavior. And that is deeply troubling. Also, he expressed regret, according to the reporting. For the video where he finally said there'll be a transition, right? He that he regretted it a day later. I think when you read the more you read about the events leading up to the, that day, the more troubling from a security uh, vantage point they are. In other words, it's clear that this violence was planned for beforehand. That any reasonable uh, person in the FBI. Uh, in Department of Homeland Security who looked at what was going on on social media could have easily anticipated this. It's clear there were voices who wanted the National Guard not just on standby but present. And there were then there were voices like the mayor of Washington and others who didn't want the National Guard there. And, again, and we know the mayor of Washington is no friend of Trump. And right. why, oh. and apparently, according to the analysis I've read, and the reporting on deep, uh, it, it was very simple that uh, they were fighting the last war. What I mean by that is their last experience with mass demonstration was the summer with Black Lives Matter, where the heavy federal presence was viewed not as a uh, not, not not as something which brought enhanced security, but as something which exactly provoked the crowd and was inappropriate. So they were fixing yesterday's mistake which was a very different context. The heavy federal presence in the summer was troubling to many, where you had, you know, the vans in Seattle pulling people off the street, interrogating, releasing, and you had that crazy, you know, when Trump crossed the street, the federal presence pushing away. What did that moment were peaceful demonstrations in that case? Now, when the liberals talk about, you know, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations being overwhelmingly peaceful, they're nuts. They're insane. They weren't overwhelmingly peaceful. There was mass looting, violence, of course, and, you know, and by the way, I mean, 
you know, just to demonstrate my balance as I criticize Trump, let's remember. And I and I checked this last night. I went through it. Not a single Black Lives protester was killed by police during the during the demonstration. Not a single one, but a white woman was killed on the Capitol. Okay, in, in, in that demonstration. So the idea that there was a disparate response, you can justify by some things, but the bottom line is no protesters were killed by police in the Black Lives Matter uh, protest, but a white woman was killed by police uh, in, in, in the Capitol Hill uh, riot. But again, Trump bears responsibility for that violence. Uh, even some of his stalwart supporters have now distanced themselves uh, Listen, I think many people would have preferred how that distancing occurred earlier. Those who are touting Pence as a hero for finally saying no are met with some uh, cynicism by the people more on the left who say, well, where have you been the last four years? But you've got to give Pence credit. He stood up. He did the right thing. You've got to give Mitch McConnell, who, you know, I think waited a month too long, but in the middle of December, did acknowledge the Biden victory and... Uh, and uh, has been supportive of the normal constitutional process. The reality is there is no evidence of election fraud. There isn't any. I mean, if you read the people who endorsed Trump, but are still serious people like Andrew McCarthy, the National Review, and other people, and they go through the cases, the legal cases, meticulously, and they go through the evidence meticulously, there is not single, single story that Trump supporters are touting that's accurate. Yeah, right. Now, we talked last week about the positives. What I have said on many of our platforms, you know, I have 100 different shows now. Um, but but I think that what I've been talking about and what people have been saying, and, and, and I think I'm sure you share my 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 feeling on this, is that all the positives are, are now in the threat of being uh, evaporating completely. Um, you know, the the this action, which we're going to uh, connect to Trump has now poisoned any of the positive things that were done and any person who would like to move forward, whether it's on the, even on the uh, speaking cogently and intelligently about the Iran deal or what's happening in the Middle East, everything is now sullied by the fact that it was done by this Hitler-like administration. Right. And, I mean, and, I, I wouldn't call it Hitler-like. But that's, I'm saying, but that's going to be, I just read, you know, David Remnick's piece in the New Yorker where he says everybody should have realized this was going to happen. And this was something that this is the, this is the logical progression from 2016's election, um, that, that this is something, and therefore it's continuing Michelle Obama and others blaming Anyone who voted for him, who continue to vote for him. Yeah, and, I, and, I don't and, see it that way. I don't think this is. I know you I don't, don't but 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 the but it's happening in terms of blackballing. Um, yes, and and there is of course the shutting down of of of, of all of these different media outlets, and there is already the drumbeats of uh, of 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 banning right wing. Uh, talk shows Listen, and stuff okay, like that. Here's the thing. Okay, let's talk simple. Let's do one test case, one witness case. Should he be impeached? Right? Uh, today, they're going to vote on the impeachment and for the second time. Now, I have to say that impeachment is not a uh, legal act. It's a political act, as others have said. Meaning that you can be impeached for any, even if the crime hasn't been committed. Okay? Let's be blunt here. You, 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 you're right. It's a political act. 
Now, all right, let's say he could be impeached. We'll leave that question aside. The answer is yes, obviously. question is, should he be impeached? So if your concern is we have to send a message to any future potential president that there are guardrails in our democracy that can't be crossed, that there's a price to pay for any leader who violates the, the norms of, of, of our democracy. And if we don't punish Trump now, it will have granted impunity to him in a way which signals future Trump-like figures that they can get away with it, then we must impeach. All right. If, however, you say, here's the other argument, the other argument, you know, we need to bring the country together. Biden has talked over and over again, very responsibly, many times. Again, not perfectly, but responsibly about unifying the country and bringing people together, how he's the president of all Americans. Does the impeachment of Trump sabotage an effort to unify? Or does it so further alienate Trump's supporters that to make that kind of unity, uh, it makes that kind of unity impossible? That's the question. In other words, what is your focus here? And uh, and I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a simple question to answer. You want to send a message that there's no that that that, that uh, there's no impunity for this kind of action, but also you you want to go ahead and think about the future, not just yesterday, about unifying the country. So I don't know if if, if, if impeachment uh, completely sabotages unity. I don't know. If not impeaching Trump sends a message that people can get away with this. All I know is, you know, these are these are very serious decisions that are being made very quickly by necessity of the calendar. And and I and I and I, I hope we stumble into the right decision. Because these are very difficult decisions. And again, the banning of Trump from Twitter and Facebook and now YouTube, uh, at least temporarily from YouTube. And, and the other accounts that have been banished uh, from Twitter and Facebook, obviously there is a there is an almost a mob mentality to excommunicate anybody associated with Trump in any way at all. And uh, just pushing them to the fringes help. If you push people out of the tent, how do they behave? Yeah, so some will give up and surrender. But some of them will become further energized in their alienation, further energized toward violence. And uh, and pushing people out of the tent doesn't always help, you know. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, uh, and it certainly emboldens those who look at big tech, as it's now called, as being a tool of the left and as being, you know, overly uh, censoring of the right, has been given an you know enormous amount of ammunition. Uh, especially as, as as we know, there's Twitter and all these other uh, mediums are full of the worst hate speech that you can find everywhere and of course we've always said that you need to you need to protect free speech that's the hallmark of our of the united states that's how we differ from all the other countries that the exiles ran away from we hate what that person has to say but you know uh the the worst anti-semitic stuff is out there and um you know, to... The question is, we all know that the First Amendment applies to government, not to citizens, meaning government can't ban speech. But if I run a newspaper, I'm allowed to ban any speech I want. Right. True. Okay? Twitter's, you know, the question is, but here's, there's a serious legal question here, though. Given the power, so on the other hand, people will say, well, free speech, yes, is a law, but it's also an ethic. And, and the law is supposed to shape how we engage all issues, meaning you don't shut down opposing arguments. You engage them, and you believe in the fundamental good sense of most people to be persuaded by better ideas, right? It's an ethic. It's not just a law. It's a value. 
And therefore, Twitter involves not breaking the law by censoring voices. It goes against the ethic of America, which is to allow, you know, unbridled debate. Uh, On the other hand, there are those who have made a stronger argument, which is due to certain government protections and legislation, Twitter, in fact, is is obligated to host uh, all voices. Uh, because of 1230, that, and I don't want to get into the legalese, but the point is that they may in fact be required to. The question is, these are difficult questions. I mean, I, I listen, I'm a free speech fanatic. And most people I talk to think I'm completely insane. I wouldn't ban Holocaust denial from, from Twitter. I wouldn't ban anything. Let it be what it was supposed to be, a bulletin board, which means you will get crazy people up there. Uh, again, the only thing I would prohibit is direct incitement to violence. Let's go kill the Jews. Let's burn the blacks. Right? That is clearly an incitement to violence and therefore needs to be uh, uh, prohibited. But anything else, I mean, you want to tell me that all Jews are miserable? I don't care. What do I care? So we say, no, we're not miserable. Right? We're very nice people. And then we argue, I will win because we are, our, our niceness is so tangible and apparent. So whatever argument you have, you win the argument. And if you don't win the argument today, you'll win it tomorrow. So I don't believe in banning any speech in any form. But again, most people would do it. They highly would strongly disagree with uh, Europe has many countries that cut laws against Holocaust that I hate. Canada, where I live, has laws against hate speech. And I, I think they're all wrong. You know, I mean, I, I also believe they could be used in very painful ways, right? They could end up banning uh, you know, um, so uh, I don't understand, uh, you know, I, I don't believe they work. I think they make heroes out of those uh, prosecuted or banned by them. I think it makes them too important. And I think it's an insult to people to say they need to be protected by, from opinions. I don't think they need to be protected. I think they need to be educated to make a better case for their position. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I think we've had so many um, people who believe like you in the ACLU and other many people of our tribe have gone out there and said, I hate what this person is saying, but I will defend till the death their right to say it. The ACLU has changed. The ACLU did, in fact, criticize the banning of Twitter or at least raise concerns about it. I want to be careful. Look what the ACLU said. But in the recent past, the ACLU has defended uh, certain speech codes on campuses because of the affront inherent in some of them, but uh, in, in some of the speech. But uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, and again, I think, you know, when you when you stigmatize certain opinions, it's in, in some ways it elevates them. Let me ask you something. You know, I, I know that we we've talked about this in the past, and you know, I try to have some sort of theme about what it is that we're going to talk about. Um, not just, and again, obviously, there's a morass of of ideas and and then things coming at us uh, every day, new things. Um, and we we've talked about the centrality of of America and how it affects even you out there. Did this? Um, people have said to me, it was last Thursday, in fact, I gave a sheer, and the people at the sheer afterwards needed to vent with me for about 45 minutes. The sheer was about a unrelated topic. And then 45 minutes, everybody just wanted to talk about these events. And one of my students, my adult students, said, Rabbi, I woke up this morning and it was like the morning of 9-11 for me. Um, 
that's the way I felt. And um, there was a lot of pain and a lot of frustration with some of the people who had uh, the rabbis and others who had encouraged voting for Trump. Um, so let me ask you, first of all, where you're from your perch, and I know things are under lockdown there. Do you believe that this is not just a, a, a shocking moment for the United States, but it also threatens democracy throughout the world? Because if this could happen in the United States, this means democracy everywhere is is, is teetering. Yeah, sure. No, I don't. I don't know if it means. Here's what I. Here's what we do know: is that when the heroic young fighters for democracy, for instance, in Hong Kong, when they demonstrate against Chinese domination, they wave the American flag because America is supposed to stand for something. It does stand for something, and I believe it does stand for something. And I believe that the story of America is overwhelmingly a very positive story. Uh, for Americans and for the world, right? And it, now, <clears throat> and that's and, and there's no question the stature of America was diminished last year. There's no question. There's no question the cause of democracy worldwide is damaged when the American model is targeted. There's no question of that. And it's a does it mean democracy teetering? I, I don't. I hope not. But you know, when you when you have pictures coming out of the Capitol, they remind us of pictures from third world. Uh, countries that live with anarchy, uh, it, it's d- deeply painful and troubling, deeply painful. This is something that was not done to us by a foreign adversary like 9-11, but this is something we did to ourselves. But I also believe that <clears throat> that it means everybody be- has to behave better. It doesn't just mean Republicans have to behave better or conservatives have to behave better. Uh, and for this conversation, it doesn't just mean Orthodox Jews have to behave better. It'd be, be more politically wise and astute. Uh, I think it also means that the left has to think for, take, think long and hard how it is that after two elections of electing a, an honest, eloquent, uh, democratic president like Barack Obama, with whom many of us had serious disagreements. But, you know, and he, he was an eloquent uh, spokesperson for that political uh, point of view and that ideological point of view, how it is that Trump got elected in 2016. And, and they do not understand, they still can't understand that their, the, self, the, the self-righteousness, the judgmental posture they take to others, the absolute confidence uh, that they have in their positions as being moral, and ethical, and anything other than what they believe is is evil. How that pushes people to do and vote in some foolish, very foolish ways, and that's what the left needs to understand. You cannot, you cannot talk down to half the country and expect a good result. You cannot, you can't do it. You just can't. I mean, you just can't. I mean, there's no question. That certain things that took place during Obama's uh, administration, it wasn't just racial. And I don't believe the race even played a significant role in the animosity to Barack Obama. I don't believe that. I know that I'm a lifelong Republican, and I always voted Republican, and I didn't want to vote. I didn't vote for Obama. But I know when he got elected, I was inspired as an American. 
I, I thought it was a great moment for America. I thought it meant so much uh, for healing in America, for progress on race relations in America, on what that meant to inspire young Black people. Uh, I, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was fantastic. I found it very moving. Uh, when somebody, I voted against one, yes. And yet, uh, but the manner in which the Democrats and, the, and, and liberals behaved during those eight years uh, pushed push too many Americans uh, to uh, embrace, you know, a guy like Donald Trump who would, under normal circumstances would never be embraced. I mean, you remember the, the campaign. One of the reasons Trump became president is because no one thought he could become president. Therefore, in the primaries, his opponents left him alone. He's not to alienate his supporters. And because they thought his candidacy was ultimately inconsequential. I mean, they, he was he was he was not taken seriously as a candidate in the Republican primaries, and therefore everybody. I mean, Ted Cruz, all these guys uh, went ahead and, uh, and, and 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 took a hands-off approach there, and uh, couldn't vote. I would never vote for Donald Trump, not because he's too right-wing, but because in my mind he's too left. And I'll be and I'll be and I'll explain to you what I mean by that. When he was asked during the campaign, and again as president. What do you think about Vladimir Putin assassinating political dissidents on the streets of Moscow or Europe? What did Trump answer? Twice. He said the same thing. What? You don't think we do that? No, we don't do that. And those who draw a moral equivalency between the United States of America and Putin's Russia will never get my vote. That is a left-wing statement. That's a left-wing sentiment born out of Vietnam cynicism. That's a left-wing statement from cynics during the Cold War. That's an anti-American statement. That's unpatriotic statement. So I, how could you vote for? And I mean, I, I could, I, I wouldn't. How do you do that? Now I don't believe there was any Russian collusion. No, and that's part of this problem. Why some people are so outraged is because of all the time spent on a on a bizarre investigation and everything else uh, that never should have happened. That was illegal to begin with, the FISA warrants and all that. The right wing is right about that. There was a pursuit, an inappropriate pursuit of Trump. There was. That doesn't make him appropriate. If you know the action, the inappropriate actions of your adversary doesn't mean you're right. And uh, and, and and the adversaries that Trump acted, uh, you know, acted recklessly with the investigation with the FBI. Yeah, we know that. But uh, but that doesn't justify doesn't justify bringing guns and white supremacists and a whole collection of of, of very strange and dangerous people in Washington. You know, to, to break down the police barricades and invade the Capitol and 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 and, 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 and to disrupt the, the democratic process and and and, and to put uh, uh, congressmen and senators at risk. And, uh, that doesn't justify any of it. You know, we, we I, I mentioned to you, and we'll wrap this up here with this. I mentioned to you about the uh, the response of official Jewish agencies or institutions, uh, rabbinical. Uh, associations, whatever you want to call it, the Aguda, the RZA, um, what you have. Um, for example, I know you're connected with uh, the, the, you tell me what it's called again, the board of, uh, the, the board of, of the uh, Canadian Rabbinic Caucus, the okay. uh, board of rabbis, right. uh, our version of APAC called CJ. Right. right. Did you issue a statement no. condemning? No. Why not? Why not? First of all, that we're Canadian, so it's not really our, our our domain. We don't really talk about stuff that goes on. If it was directly related to Jews, he would have, but it wasn't. 
Uh-huh. Uh, although there were certainly anti-Semites there. Anytime you have conspiracy theories, they end up messing with Jews. I mean, that's inevitable. That's as inevitable as... Uh, no. So, but, but, now, again, I, I love referencing myself here, but one of the things that, I, that I've talked about was the statements didn't seem to be strong enough, even from the RCA. We talked about that, I think, uh, on a quick phone call that we had last yeah. week where the RCA, they didn't mention Trump by name. They mentioned, right. uh, do, do, don't you think that there should have been a stronger, whether they really were uh, believe it or not, don't you think it's expedient for the or- Jewish organizations to be out there without condemning everything Trump did, but condemning right. this specifically? And why didn't that happen? I, I don't know. I wasn't involved in the conversations in the RCA office in New York. I, I, you know, I, listen, Trump has put everybody in a bad position because he's done so much good for Israel. And I hope, I hope that it is in fact enduring. I hope. And he has done so many uh, good things, uh, you know, uh, in, even in terms of the Supreme Court and religious freedom and, and, and those things. Uh, and uh, and again, this tarnishes, as you mentioned. I, I, look, I am sure. I am sure that you know, uh, Kavya ben Mahalel and other people who were labeled, according to some traditions, Zuck and Mamre, were great men. Even Alicia ben Avuya had a, a great history, right. and he's in Perkeovos. But right. when he crosses the line, he becomes Acher. Right. So, so why you know, can't I, why can't we have that type of the same thing you were talking about in yeah, terms of having I, the maturity of disagree. yeah. So I, I, I just know that the internal politics of these organizations are are not known to me. I I, I can anticipate that as it, as as Orthodox rabbis in New York City, where so many of your constituents and congregants uh, become passionate Trump voters, they may have found it difficult to to alienate completely uh, those people. Uh, and, and and I know that for many, the statement went too far in, in criticizing. So uh, I, I I don't know what the position is. Yes, a straight moral statement without worrying about political implications. And I say political meaning internal Jewish politics should have condemned Trump. Absolutely. Yes. OK. And, and, and I think that we are smart enough to know, yes, this was Tov. This was Ra. Does he have to do? He's not going to do tshuva. He's not going to be mischaret. But we have a responsibility to ourselves to to, to declare it out of bounds and rishus. And again, Yidin, whoever, again to 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 fund the GoFundMe page of that police officer who was killed uh, for his family. Uh, that I think you know, if you can, that would be a mitzvah rabba. But the second thing is also. And we've talked about this, me and you, here often. We have to be careful about Chil Hashem, too. Do we, in this new zeitgeist that's going to strengthen over the next couple of months, do we want to be the ones who are out there with fingers being pointed at? And how come you guys weren't condemning this? I, I think, first of all, morally we should. Secondly, I think politically it's probably the right move because, listen, we've got to get in line. Otherwise, right, here's, my, here's my balanced response to that is that 80% of the Jews in America voted for Joe Biden before he gave the place. And where, where, and where Jews voted for Trump was overwhelmingly in blue states. So their votes were completely inconsequential. Right. However, however, <laughs> there's no question the New Orthodox community uh, voted for Trump. Again, not completely, I mean, you know, and, and sometimes overstated. The Upper West Side Orthodox Jews did not vote uh, for Trump. The Upper East Side Jews were 50 50. 
and Brooklyn was 100%. I mean, I'm speaking very right. overgeneralization, but that's generally how it went in New York City. Upper West Side was anti-Trump, Upper East Side was 50-50, and, and Brooklyn was 100%, or whatever, close to it. And um, um, and, and I don't, I mean, Jewish Brooklyn, I mean, still Orthodox Brooklyn. And uh, the, um, and, and, and I believe that it's never wise for any community to put all their political eggs in one basket. APAC is extraordinarily careful to always present a balanced platform uh, of Democrats and Republicans. And I don't believe it's, I don't believe that intelligent people uh, ever, uh, you know, tie their car to one horse in the political arena. You will have to be careful. We're still, uh, have to look at the long-term interests of the, of the entire Jewish community, which means uh, uh, defense against anti-Semitism, support for the security of institutions. It means, uh, uh, you know, uh, defending us against uh, anti-Semitism and defending uh, the state of Israel. It means a whole host of things. And, uh, and, and everyone who's lived, you know, even briefly knows that no one stays in office forever. And no matter who's in office, one day will come, they will not be in office. And therefore, Jewish organizations need to be very careful not to not to ever be perceived as being owned by one party. Because that leads to you being punished by the other party and taken for granted by the party you've, you've embraced. And, and it's just not wise. I want to get back to something you said earlier, which I, which I think is so important. Even for the cause of the state of Israel. Being that for young Americans, I'm not talking Jews, young Americans in general, Trump is now beyond the pale. And for young Americans who don't spend time obsessing over the Middle East like we do, the only thing they know actually about Israel is that Trump likes Israel. We have been sullied by his embrace. And my, those who will argue with me in the Orthodox Union will say, Rabbi, we lost them already. We lost them already. We're left already abandoned Israel. What do you care? What's the difference? I believe it makes a difference. I believe it makes a difference for the moderates. I think it makes a difference even on the left. I don't believe the cause of Israel is an unpersuasive cause. And I believe we could continue to make the case for Israel, even in arenas that are hostile to us. And I think Trump's embrace of Israel makes that much more difficult if not impossible. Uh, well, hopefully that's not a prophecy um, that is going to uh, actually bear fruit. And I hope that, it, it, again, as you said before, whatever Biden's quibbles with Israel are, I think that there's enough of voices who are in line with Biden's perspective in Eretz Israel that at least what we can talk about, if we can't necessarily say that we're never going to slip back into the two-state solution – but at least the actual um, uh, protection of lives in Israel, uh, the protection of, of of support in times of, of of crisis, I think is like you say will probably still be there. All okay. right, I, yeah. go ahead. No, no. I, I think we've sort of like run around the maypole over here, and um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, and 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 um, I'm not going to. Unf- uh, 
put salt on your wounds by mentioning that terrible first quarter that the, yeah. were, that okay. the Browns the Browns unleashed on your beloved <laughs> Steelers, but that couldn't have made your week any any worse, could it? Have I mean, I, since the fall of I don't know, it's, it's too much. I can't even talk about it. Yeah, that was. Uh, were Were you actually watching that? Did you actually? Yes. You watched the game till the end, till the sorry end of it. Yes. I'm sorry for you, and I, 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 I you know, I, I can't. I really am, but I, I'm shocked you even bring it up to me. <laughs> I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just <laughs> trying to say, you know, like we say, that's an arena where perhaps we can dust ourselves off and and walk proudly. I have this. I, I got this new T-shirt. It's like an American flag, like stated American flag. Yes. And there's three words on it. It says God, family, Steelers. That's all you got to know. Yes. All right. (laughs) Be well. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 